2: to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me our mindset is the next frontier so let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope you're keeping really safe and well and that you've had a good week wherever you're listening in from. Well, this last weekend saw the flagship Formula One race, the Monaco Grand Prix, the jewel in the crown of Formula One in the season. And we saw Max Verstappen record an exciting victory. So to keep the theme, I thought I'd share a combination of the insights from our digital library to celebrate life and lessons in the fast lane. So remember that as a Sporting Edge member, you can access over 700 of these bite-sized micro lessons and insights to help you to navigate the challenges in your own career with brilliant insights from neuroscientists, military leaders, professors and elite leaders in business. You won't need to waste time trawling Google and YouTube. We've curated all of these brilliant insights down into the highlights, two minutes long on loads of different themes. I think there's 75 different themes, things like innovation, difficult conversations, decision-making. So you'd have a range of experts when you type in those keywords. So come and have a look. We've got hundreds of executives using this around the world as a community to learn together. So as a podcast listener, if you go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and use the special code podcast 50 then you get your first month half price and that's just 15 pounds including VAT. so worst case scenario you just cancel it straight away and you will get way way more benefit than that so please come and give it a try thanks so much for all the people that have joined us in recent weeks and months it's great to have you as part of that community we're having some great events and and discussions on high performance and also massive thanks to everyone that subscribed to the podcast and left a rating or review in the last few weeks. We're up in the Apple top 10 for management again, and it's great to see it up there. And also to see your comments. MB72 from South Africa saying five star, awesome show. Love the mental health and nature episode. And also Sue Sayer, who said absolutely love this podcast. It's helped me in every aspect of my life creating a winning mindset has been revolutionary. So thank you so much for that, Sue. I'm really thrilled that you're getting benefit from it. Remember, if you do want to send me an email or ask me any questions directly, then hello at sportingedge.com is the best place. Maybe you've got some ideas for the podcast. You've got some questions that you want me to help you with, or even you want me to come and speak at your reunion conference or run a webinar for you. I'm desperate to get back on the conference circuit and and start to see loads of my clients and please just ring me up or get hello at sportingedge.com and summons me to get me out of the house and back into the conference and event circuit. I'd love to help you out. So talking of circuits we're going to look at the F1 circuit. Uh, It's fascinating from a performance perspective. We've got massively talented drivers we've got highly tuned supercars. We've got data flying from every angle, and all those experts and engineers that need to make sense of what's happening in one of the most dynamic and demanding schedules in the world. In this episode, I'm going to take an intersect between the people and performance from three interviews that I did when I spent the day with Force India Formula One team a few years ago. Here's a taster of what's to come.
4: Well, this is the fantastic thing about Formula One and makes it so interesting. Um, and it's why we tend to find once people get involved in the industry, they never leave.
1: Before we left that event, we were focusing on the next event and, um, and, and people were back in good spirits again. Uh, and the results were we went to the next event and we had our we had probably six of our best pit stops. But I, I find that it's three seconds, but the slower, uh, the slower you, you do it, better you are
3: because there's always setups and there's always solutions that um, in theory should make you go faster but if the driver isn't able to exploit it then you have to go back to the drawing board again
4: every single time we turn a wheel we're trying to uh, develop improve uh, improve the speed of the car and therefore improve the results and if you don't you will get left behind because every other team is doing the same
2: so the first thing which is astonishing about formula 1 is the constant competition the fractions of a second uh, you know can mean the difference between getting pole position and being midway on the grid whether you're one of the big teams with massive budgets or one of the smaller teams that makes a massive difference as well in in 2019 it was estimated that mercedes had a budget of around 480 million us dollars and ferrari and red bull also had budgets in excess of 400 million dollars and some of the smaller teams have got around 130 to 150 million dollars so massive difference there and every team is looking to get those incremental gains and to sort of punch above their budget if you like and wherever you are that one constant is that hunger to compete and that competition means constant change as we now hear from andy stevenson who's the sporting director at the Aston Martin Formula One team.
4: Well, this is the fantastic thing about Formula One and makes it so interesting. Um, and it's why we tend to find once people get involved in the industry, they never leave. It, it changes at an, at an enormous speed. I mean, people at home would believe that they're seeing in the same car race from race to race. So, for instance, if we were racing in Monaco one weekend, Canada the next, it's the same car. It, it is a very, very different car. We're permanently tuning the cars um, for specific circuits. But we're also developing the cars. Uh, Formula One is non-stop development. We don't just design the car. Once we, once we receive the rule book, uh, we don't design the car and leave it at that. Every single time we turn a wheel, we're trying to uh, develop, improve, uh, improve the speed of the car and therefore improve the results. And if you don't, you will get left behind because every other team is doing the same.
2: So innovation is in the DNA of the sport. Not only are the cars being innovated to improve the lap time, but also the people need to be open-minded, humble and curious enough to embrace this philosophy of continual learning. And people with a fixed and defensive mindset won't really survive, as Andy now explains.
4: People who won't take on new ideas and are defensive to to criticism. You don't really see them in Formula One. Um, if they are around, they're not around for very long. But then again, I know we've also got to, we've got to nurture talent. And when we have new people come in, we've got to, we've got to um, teach them ways to understand that um, every day we have to, we have to improve things. Um, and we'll, we'll go through using examples from the past of, of how things have been improved when people were under the impression that they couldn't be. Um, and we'll also learn from when things have gone wrong. Uh, I'm a big believer in if we have a bad weekend that we we should look at it almost once it's over and we we couldn't do anything to change it. We should look at that as a positive because that that will educate us for what we need to do moving forward.
2: So not only are the engineers, drivers and analysts looking for those micro improvements that can improve the aerodynamics of the car, they're also looking at their personal and interpersonal performance for marginal gains. There are few higher pressure environments than in a Formula One pit stop. And as Andy explains, getting great people and exposing them to lots of varied challenges really allows the leaders to find their signature strengths and where they can best be deployed within the team.
4: When we're recruiting, um, we need to ensure that we use those people to the best of their abilities. Um, Sometimes it might not actually be what we've hired them for. So, certainly on the race team with the mechanics and, and, and pit stops, more importantly, uh, we, we rotate positions. So, we have specialists in certain positions, but part of our preparation is to try people in, in other areas um, just because they may have a, a better skill set for doing it. They may have slightly better eye hand coordination, or they might be stronger in one direction than another. And again, we, we we also have per- certain people who will react to pressure sh- situations better than others, others do so in a pit stop we will use those guys that probably aren't quite as confident on the less important roles uh, and the guys who are very confident on the more important roles but again we, we we'd work with these guys tirelessly um, on a daily basis for 52 weeks of the year apart from when they're on vacation obviously uh, for 52 weeks of the year developing these skills Um, pit stop is as you see now is an incredibly crucial part of the race Um, but we only have sub three seconds and we won't be long away from sub two seconds to get the job done Um, and we can only do that by putting the best people in the best positions
2: well that just shows how fast the improvement cycle is running within formula one because just a few years ago this uh, barrier was three seconds that they were trying to break, and now the pit stops are all under two seconds, and that's absolutely remarkable. I love that idea of taking people with great character, intellect, and team skills, and giving them loads of chances to show what they can do in different roles and different environments. As the picture becomes clearer through those patterns and through those experiments, they're introduced into one or two key positions in the pit crew, and then they need to master the execution of those skills under pressure. Simulation is such a big part of the preparation as they need hundreds of repetitions to get this absolutely into their muscle memory. Because you can't do that with a multi-million car flying round the live racetrack on a race weekend. At the time, Mark Gray was the head of the 24-man Force India pit crew and he gives us a sense for how they prepared for these set pieces in the climax of the race weekends.
1: There's a a routine that we practice um, all the time. Uh, We've got certain calls that come from certain key members of the team Um, and um, and those calls then start a a reaction from from the guys. The the first call that they get is to stand by. and within that call it tells them who's coming in um, and what changes or what they're expected to do during that call. The second call which is about 20 seconds later would be to come out into the pit lane um, and at that that time they bring their necessary equipment out with them they get into position and then the third call they hear is that the car is in the pit lane Um, the the workload is relayed to them again for a second time so that there's no doubt about what they have to do um, and then from that point on it's, it's automatic the car's in in view and um, it's, it's a, a well re- rehearsed operation
2: so imagine the heat and the noise in that pit lane that feeling of holding the heavy equipment or the wheel listening for the call from the pit crew leader in your earpiece Then you start to roll the tyre forward into your position and seeing the car arrive through the corner of your eye, in a flash, you're crouching, looking forward, the car flashes into place right in front of you and you have to adjust your position by a fraction and deliver. Your teammates are all doing the same, it's a bit of a frenzy all around you, they throw their arms up in the air and that all happens in under two seconds as the car whizzes away. It's absolutely incredible. I don't think many of us can comprehend the speed and precision the engineers and pit crew need to execute that pit stop. I can imagine the panic. Um, so I wanted to ask Mark what the key was to a brilliant pit stop. And his answer provides a great insight.
1: Well, I, I find that it's three seconds, but the slower, uh, the slower you, you do it, the better you are. It's, there's a fine line because you can, you can mess up and be slow. But if everything's gone to plan, it feels slow. Um, but you look at the time and it's, it's the best one you've ever done. Um, it's when you go out there and you're panicking and you've got, and you can see the, the guys around you are uh, unsure or they're, they're panicking as well. That you will not get the best out of the, the stop and the rest out of the guys.
2: So sometimes we rush to get things done and actually lose time in the blur and the panic. Here we've got a team working in unison to execute an incredibly complex sequence of movements. And they're not rushing. Every job has its rhythm. And we can only become more efficient when we're in the present with our brain mindful about what we're about to do. We're calm and focused. Because if we're in blind panic, we're going to drop that metaphorical spanner and that sets us back time so how many of us at the moment are rushing around trying to change our businesses or drive change in our lives and careers and we're trying to do it all within three seconds you know perhaps we need to slow down because if the pit crew can slow down and make a brilliant job of changing all four wheels in three seconds then I think we've got to be patient. We've got to take our time. We've got to think through the most important parts of the changes that we're trying to deliver in our lives and make sure we execute them. So sometimes this insight tells us we need to slow down to speed up. So Formula One tells us that better never stops. And if you're keen to keep improving your thinking and your career, then here's some more information about how you can learn in a safe environment with the sporting edge members club
0: during times of uncertainty and pressure your mindset will be the key to your success sporting edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success this is your chance to get powerful weekly micro lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches, and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums, and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.
2: So even when we've got a brilliant set of individuals all clearly briefed and knowing how to execute their individual roles, we can't always have a perfect performance when you're right at the margins of what's possible. So I was really interested to hear if Mark had had any setbacks with the pit crew and maybe how they'd responded when those setbacks had happened.
1: So we always get setbacks. Um, Again, I think it's, it's part of the the sport and any sport that you're involved in. Uh, we've had one recently uh, where um, we had a mechanical issue. Um, unfortunately, it affected both cars at every stop and um, the results were that neither car finished, which was, uh, from our point of view, an absolute disaster. Um, the guys involved in the stop, in the stops um, took, it, uh, took it to heart and, and we came away from the race um, with our, with our heads down everybody was, was gutted for, for the result um, and people were questioning could I have done things better? They were questioning their ability to do the job um, but at that point um, I felt we had to step in um, and assure people that, that the issue wasn't with anybody. We reviewed the videos and it was, it was quite clear what the issue was um, and we just got the group together, debriefed it, discussed it, chucked some ideas around the table and tried to pick people back up so before we left that event we were focusing on the next event and, um, and, and people were back in good spirits again uh, and the results were we went to the next event and we had our we had probably six of our best pit stops we've, we've ever done um, and it was exactly the same people involved so it was, it was a, quite a nice moment to be honest.
2: So you can imagine the shock, the frustration and the emotion that would have been coursing around the pit lane at that particular time with the team. The media would have been showing live footage, zooming in into people's faces of what the emotions were like. The commentators and the world class retired drivers would have been throwing in suggestions about what would be going on. And the drivers would have been so frustrated that they'd missed their opportunity to get points. The danger is here that we leave a vacuum, it's too hot to handle, and everyone suddenly moves into blame and self-preservation mode, and we lose focus, we lose trust, and we lose confidence. What I love about what Mark did was that they were using the objective footage and the data, not personal opinion, to start this debrief. Then from this clean reference point that was undeniable, They shared ideas about how they could make this a powerful learning moment and shifted their focus over the things that they could control, the things that they could improve and the way that they could improve all of these sequences and processes for the next race. This exercise can be tense, but the output was a galvanized team looking forward rather than a fragmented set of individuals that were covering their arses and looking back. As much as we've spoken about the pit crew and the split second advantages that they can bring, the key enabler of the performance in the car is the driver. We've heard the story about people like Lewis Hamilton being champion carters at the age of eight or nine. And what they're doing is developing this intuitive feel for the car and the track. It's like a sixth sense that fuses with an incredible courage and competitive drive as they hunt out the tiniest gaps and advantages. So this ability to relay information to and from the driver in real time is absolutely crucial. And as leading race engineer, Jakob Andreasen explains, this is a key opportunity for learning and connection between the analysts, the race engineers, and this all important driver.
3: The driver is the main, the main part of it. You, you can come up with the best technical solution that you think has been simulated and analysed to death, but at the end of the day, it's the driver actually has to drive it. Um, and um, if he's not happy with it, then all the data in the world doesn't really mean anything. And you have to use the driver's um, feedback hugely in your process for making the car go faster. So. It's a big feedback loop that we constantly evolve um, because there's always setups and there's always solutions that um, in theory should make you go faster, but if the driver isn't able to exploit it then you have to go back to the drawing board again. There's several ways that we use data. There's, firstly is reliability. We is check that things are working. That's a very low-level um, use of data. Then it gets more into performance, and um, there's basic stuff that we look at, for example, to um, to to see how much lap time we gain from a certain component. But then, when we get into the more driver-specific items, um, we use data to supplement quite often the the, uh, the driver comments. Often, you have to be quite careful of how you use that. Um, we try and use it to to supplement the driver comments rather than to make them the, the main item and then ask the driver if he's happy with it. So for example, um, we'll always ask, try and ask the driver how was the balance and the driver will then elaborate what he feels about the, um, the car. We'll then use the data to say yes, we can see in the data that um, that, that is the case and we'll, go, we'll investigate it further. I think that always works better because then the driver becomes confident that what he's telling us, we can see and confirm and we can move, move forward and make progress. I think if we try and use things like um, we can see in the data that your balance is understeer and maybe he's not convinced, then suddenly you start to do, or he will start to doubt his analysis of the situation. So you have to be quite careful about how, how you deploy the data and how you use it.
2: So we can hear that everyone in the team has focused on this shared goal of lap time. The aerodynamics guys, the expert looking at tyre temperature, the race strategist, they can all see so much data spewing off the car and they all want their great ideas to be heard. But they have to lead with the insight from the driver. He has to feel in control in that moment. I'm sure every driver has their own preferences and sensitivities and their own triggers whether it's the tone of voice that's been used, a certain person speaking to them or being told what to do. The whole system could crash if the wider team aren't sensitively pushing and pulling feedback to and from the driver in this dynamic feedback loop. Again, are we putting our human beings at the center of our data? Or how is data being used in your organization? Is it leading or supporting? Is it a finite truth a justification for a random theory or a rational and objective reference point to kickstart a new conversation. The key is that everyone is harnessing the insight from the data, bouncing ideas around and then making sharper and more informed decisions as a result. The driver is hurtling around Monaco or Silverstone, experiencing massive G-forces and jostling with their rivals in real time. So we need to be sensitive to their needs and equip them with the right insight in the right way at the right time. This is the art behind the science and why people still remain at the heart of performance, even in the data-rich world of Formula One. So for those of us worried about blockchain, robotics and AI taking over the world, this is another example of how we'll need to become even more empathic even more sophisticated in our emotional and social intelligence and communication in the future. As technology advances, we need to become even more human. I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If it's your first time here, then please do click subscribe and anyone that leaves a review will get a special mention in the next episode. So please take that opportunity. The key takeaway for me this Episode has been around the restlessness of improvement and innovation, constantly asking questions, constantly looking for ways to improve, both personally and as a team. And it's something that we try and emulate at Sporting Edge. If you're a lifelong learner and always looking for fresh ideas to improve your thinking and your career, in a safe learning environment, then come and check out our members club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. You'll be joining a brilliant community of people who want to learn new psychological and leadership strategies to accelerate their performance. So if you use the code podcast50 in the checkout, you'll have a half price first month as a trial. So that's just £15 including VAT. So please do come over and join that community and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you for any event inquiries or any questions that you've got about the podcast. So please send those questions through directly to hello at sportingedge.com and I'll be able to speak to you in the next few days. So until next time, take care and remember to slow down if you want to speed up. We'll see you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.